Thanks, Violet. I feel a little overwhelmed at all the prayers and amazing words of scripture. How's everybody doing? <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, my name is Miguel, and um, I'm grateful to present the word today. And um, yeah, it, the topics at hand um, are some of my favorite because, not because um, of anything more or less than the fact that the reality of, of, we're, of what we're talking about, of these things, is, um, is something that has effect and ramification for all time and, and at all places. Um, so I will do my best to present what I, share, uh, what I have to share with you this morning. And um, I'd ask for you to pray for me now as, as I pray for us in our time together. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the words of that scripture, Lord. We, it would do well for us to meditate and just ruminate and um, abide in those words, God. And Lord, I just pray that, that, that your love would, would shower your people now as, as I share um, about the Day of Atonement and about that wonderful day on the cross and I just pray, Lord, that, that, that you would use my words, use the words of Scripture to, to unlock new places of our hearts, as Violet prayed, um, to unlock that forgiveness and being made and washed clean of all of our sin and all, all of our shame. And I pray this, that, that you would do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't, I'm so emotional already. <laughs> I don't know why. Whew. It's good. <laughs> it makes me, yeah, it makes me so emotional to th- talk about this stuff. But I'm going to transition us with my introduction. <laughs> Just do a hard turn. So uh, if you ever come to my house, uh, you know, Alessia knows this because she's there uh, Every, every so often, uh, we have this day, Miguel's Day of Atonement, Yom, Miguel's Yom Kippur, where um, the threshold of the status of where, you know, clothes or dust or whatever hits a certain point, and I have to say, okay, it's time to reset everything. And the best time is when Alessia is gone, you know, on vacation or something like that, because she's a teacher, and I get to, you know, organize things the way that I prefer. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just a funny thing. But today we're going to talk about uh, God's provision for humanity's problem. Um, God's provision for humanity's problem. Uh, and it's been a problem that all people have faced and asked about through all time, whether or not they believe in God. And that problem is, how can people approach a holy God? How can sinful, unclean people approach a holy God. Uh, and we, we talk about this word holiness, holy, and it's often a word that can create confusion. Um, but I, I'd like to, to point out two different aspects of it. One, of, one aspect of holiness is, uh, you know, about God being holy is that he is the, the source and the sustainer of life. He is the author of life itself. And that would be enough to make somebody holy or set apart. 
But not just that, he's morally perfect and unique. He's the one who deems what is good and what is not good. Um, so there's two, there's two aspects to, to God's holiness, and I'm sure many others. But as humans, you know, as much as we'd like to be, um, we're not holy. Um, we don't have the ability to sustain life, really. Um, and if we're honest with ourselves, we, we are constantly met with um, this word that we use called sin. And um, sin also has some nuances to it. You know, it's a term that we use, you know, uh, a lot. Uh, it's, it's common in language that, that is all throughout, um, you know, people. But uh, we're going to look today at how sin has, um, there's intentional sin, so acts of commission. And then there's also unintentional sin, um, which is, uh, as God likes to, uh, as, as he illuminates in the scripture, is um, things that have to do with being near death or decay. Um, and that, that is what we call uncleanness. That's more of that aspect of sin where um, our bodies are these frail vessels. Um, we are filled with disease or, or weakness and imperfection. Um, Stephen Quake, he's this uh, bioengineer. Um, he is the co-president of the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub. Uh, and it's a collective of scientists and engineers that have uh, gotten together from Stanford, Berkeley, um, UCSF, and through potentially very, you know, controversial methods, they're trying to eliminate all disease by, I'm not sure, like in 2000, I'm not sure when, in the next 150 years, they're trying to eliminate all disease. Um, and one of the things that they've found is uh, they've, they've re recently discovered things um, about our blood, which is really interesting. Um, and there, there have been some discoveries since 1948 about blood uh, in this regard. But um, I, I thought I, had, I wanted to share this quote with you. Um, this is Stephen Quake talking about blood. The blood, the human, in the human blood in our system, is like a septic system of the body, found in all tissues and all organs. When cells die, they release their DNA. Our blood picks it up and carries it. So even if the infection is not in the blood, we see the remnants of the infection in the blood from that cell-free DNA. So I'm not a biologist, uh, but basically our blood within it, if you take our blood... Um, and you boil it all down, 98% of it is human, you'll find human DNA in it. But then there's like one or 2% that's bacterial. So these are the things that we, we think about when, um, you know, God's holiness and our lack of holiness. There are things inside of us that, that have yet to be mended fully. Um, because of these things, and Pastor Paul talked about it at the fall of man, um, God has to uh, veil his glory. He has to conceal himself. Um, and this is another term that we think about, God's glory. Um, God's glory is not just a, a standard of, um, of perfection, but it's the fact that he is the source of of all life. And so as a helpful metaphor maybe for us to think of how to approach a holy God, let's consider how we might approach the sun. 
And I have a picture of it up here. Um, so how many of you have tried to approach the sun <laughs> recently? Um, so trying to approach the sun is, not, is generally not a, a good idea, right? Um, not without any kind of protection. The sun has a certain glory, uh, 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 an essence to itself um, that create, it's a nuclear fusion reactor <laughs> creating way more, uh, you know, uh, way more, uh, what is it, the uh, decay and all these other things. What's the 3.6 Ronkin? What is that, uh, what is that the defining? Gamma rays and all the nuclear, what is it? Radiation, that's the word, sorry. So a lot of radiation emanating from the sun. So um, consider the sun uh, and consider that the sun is, is, is this reaction and it's so powerful, right? But consider that the sun has no moral conscience. And if you were to take God... Um, you know, think of the sun as, you know, one of many in our universe. But if, if you consider God and how powerful he is, he created the sun. Not only that, but he, you, he has this consciousness and this morality and this perfection, this quality to him that is, that is bigger. Um, imagine trying to approach God, right, in all of his glory and all of his splendor. So God has to, to some way t- turn down his glory to veil and close himself up. And God has to create a way for people to be able to meet with him. So uh, in, in our sermon series, we were going through this ser- series called We Are dot, dot, dot. And the very first introduction was Pastor Paul. He's, he told us that we are redeemed. And he went through the book of Genesis at the beginning and then Pastor Andrew said, we are freed. And that was, um, he was drawing from scripture in Exodus. And then today I'm going to talk about we are forgiven and made clean. And we're going to draw from the book of Leviticus. These are all books of the, uh, the, the law or the Torah that we call in the Bible. And the reason we're going to go to Leviticus is, uh, is that we, we want to find the, an answer to that question how can we approach God? So the context for the book of Leviticus is that it's found deep in the heart of the law. The law was something that, that God gave to Moses um, after he, they are free, after the people of Israel are freed from bondage. Um, he gives the people this, this law. And um, in the very heart of the law is this book Leviticus and uh, I like what Andrew said 10 years ago when he was preaching on it. He said, many people have tried to start reading the book, the, the Bible, right? And they, when they get to Leviticus, it's just like, that is like the dead zone where people just get slayed with like, you know, all these laws about random stuff, you know? Um, but I, I thought that the Bible Project does a really good job of summarizing uh, the book of Leviticus. And it's it's this literary device called a chiastic structure. It's just a fancy term for it's pretty symmetrical and it focuses on one center point. So if you look on the outside up there, um, it starts off like we're going to go from big to focusing, funneling in. So it goes from like uh, instructions about rituals, whether that is uh, offerings and sacrifices at the beginning of the book or corporate feasts. 
But then it starts to narrow into what we call the priesthood. And this is when it talks about ordination or qualifications about these things. Uh, And then you take one step deeper in and uh, around the Day of Atonement is this thing thing that we call um, purity. And purity has to do with like ritual purity. There's also moral purity. Uh, And at the very heart is what we call the the Day of Atonement. And it's found there. Um, And I know that this is a book that is not that popular, you know. But I hope that as I present these things that God's word would really sort of like jump out at you and maybe grab a new part of your heart that you hadn't, hadn't uh, considered about his word. So let's, let's grab our Bibles or our phones and open up to Leviticus 16. I'm not going to read it all verse by verse, um, but at times I will read certain verses. So again, remember that we are addressing the problem uh, that drawing near to a holy God results in, in our death. And that's how Leviticus 16 starts. The first two verses actually talk about the death of Aaron's sons. Two people who, they were, uh, you know, they met the requirements for priests. They're part of the, the, the lineage, but they, they flippantly walk into the Holy of Holies, a place that was, you know, rega- that was regarded as the place where God would be, and they ended up dying. So uh, let's, let's read in verse 2. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And Remember, I talked about how God would often veil himself or kind of like, you know, shroud himself. And this is one of the ways that God would veil himself. He would appear in the form of a cloud. This is called like a theophany. um, When humans were able to tell that God's presence was there. So he would do this. He would make himself into a cloud or uh, a pillar of fire by night. Um, and God's presence would descend upon this thing called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was found at the heart of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting in the Holy of Holies. Um, it was made of solid gold and God would rest above the Ark of the Covenant. And I want to show you a picture of what this looks like. And you may have seen it from like pop culture um, from like maybe Indiana Jones or something like that. Yeah. Okay, so um, this, this in, in Hebrew, this, this mercy seat, the lid, is, is called the kaporet, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but this is, uh, it was considered the place of propitiation, the place where peace was made. Um, it was the place where an appeasing sacrifice of blood would cleanse, um, would would cleanse it and 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 make things clean. And I wanna I wanna just spend a quick moment to to be nitpicky about the the translation. So we've often translated this as mercy seat, um, and that's a that's an okay translation. Um, but something greater is happening here. It's 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 something. Uh, an important detail is the reality that this 
was the earthly representation of the throne of God. So a seat doesn't quite capture the, the, the enthronement royal language that is really behind it. And if you see above the, you know, above the lid is these two cherubim um, who, uh, who the cher- cherubs are, are actually in scripture. They are described as the guardians of uh, those of the access to the presence of God. Um, over and over in the scripture, it says, you know, the Lord is mighty. He's he who is enthroned above the cherubim. It's this language of like, God's, God's like royal place is protected and near these, these, um, these cherubs. Um, so the mercy seat is better to be thought of as the earthly throne of God. Um, and remember the, the banishment from Egypt. What, what, what happened when, um, when Adam and Eve fell and they were cast out of Eden? Do you remember what was set in place in the way between them and the Garden of Eden. Yeah, the, cher- the, the cherubs with the flaming sword, right? So this, this, uh, this mercy seat, the kapore, is evoking this kind of um, imagination for the people of Israel. Um, so what was the proper way for Israel to approach Yahweh? And, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about this. Um, there's basically three steps. The first step is you would prepare the offering and you'd prepare the, the high priest. Um, and there was, there's a lot of details, so I'm just going to summarize a few of them. Um, there was, in, in the preparation of offerings, there was bulls and rams and their blood would be sprinkled on different places. But I want us to highlight um, the, the priest. And I have a, a picture of that. Thanks, Kathy. Um, so if you, the, the image to the left, yeah, left. Um, the image to the left, this is what the priest would normally wear. Normally the, the priest would wear this really beautiful, decked out, elaborate um, regalia. And the, the crown would be like set in gold and um, the, the linen would have uh, pieces of uh, uh, gold, gold fibers and blue and purple uh, yarn, like uh, threaded all through it. And, and on his breastplate, there would be this uh, a plate of gold. Uh, and on the, on the gold would be different, 12 different stones representing the 12 different tribes of Israel. So it's really fancy, right? But on this day, he would actually remove all of that stuff from himself. And he would, instead would wear, uh, you know, just plain, you know, they were called holy linens. So already you see this removal of status from the high priest. He's like starting to remove himself from his, his, his position. And, um, and then, and then what, what the high priest must do is become ritually pure. So he would take some of that blood and apply it for his family, you know, for the sins of himself and for the sins of his family, which is really interesting language. You know, he has to be made right before God before he can even start to clean the holy place. Uh, the next detail that I want us to, to, to think about is in verses 7 through 10, there's this explanation of two goats that are set apart for um, this, this day of atonement. The first one is the goat for Yahweh or the Lord in verse 9. 
And then the second one is the goat for Azazel. And we'll get into Azazel for a little bit, in a little bit. Um, but I just want to read this, uh, Leviticus 16, verses 7 through 10. And you can follow with me in your Bible. So he, the, the high priest, shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the Lord fell for the, excuse me, Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat which fell, which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So this is really interesting. One is set for, set apart for Yahweh and the other one is set apart for this person named Azazel. And if we continue on, uh, let's, let's go to the, to the next slide. Um, what would happen is then after the, the lots were, were, were cast, the high priest would then um, cleanse, uh, start to cleanse the mercy seat. And what he would do um, would, he would take coals of, uh, of fire and burn the incense that was found in an altar and bring that inside the veil. And then the, the place would be filled with smoke. And um, this incense uh, would, would create this cloud effect and all this was done in verse 13, it says, so that he would not die. The smoke was sort of this, this um, buffer between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. Somehow that, that was connected. Um, now, now let's talk about the, the blood of the goat for Yahweh. So he would take the blood of the goat and apply it to the mercy seat, the throne, um, and uh, let's read verse, verses 15 through 16. So the high priest, he shall kill the goat for the sin, of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil. And let's skip down saying, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus shall he make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions all of their sins. And so shall he do for the tent of meaning, which dwells in the midst of their uncleanness. So remember how we talked about how the sin has some nuances to it. Um, and in that, on those two verses, you know, we talk about uncleanness and we talk about transgression or sin. And I just want to reiterate the distinction between those two. Excuse me. So, um, Uncleanness is different from transgression, uh, and they're closely related. But uncleanness is not moral failure. You know, it is instead it's coming into contact with anything that has to do with death, like uh, unclean foods or d disease or bodily discharges or these sort of things. Um, again, because God is holy, He's the author of life. He's the one who created everything. When death is around him, it's, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't fit. Um, and, and, and then the second part of it is transgression or sin. Now, the, the most common definition for sin is, what, is that we, you know, is moral failure. You know, that is, that's like the most common 
um, conception that we think of when it comes to sin. But sin also has this other aspect where I mentioned earlier, there's unintentional sins against one another. And that's like, you know, maybe you've heard the prayer where it says, you know, God forgive us for the things we have done and the things we've left undone. You know, sin has that aspect where there's, there's things we don't do, that's also sin. But the amazing thing is that this priest in this, in, in this, on this day, he would cleanse everything from the inside out. So the first thing that would be atoned for, you know, is the very center, which is this, this mercy seat, this throne. And then the altar, it says, and then the tent of meeting, and it's spread out. It'll have this ripple effect across, um, across the camp, all the way to, to the point where, you know, the congregation would eventually be atoned for. Now, I, I want to talk about one mysterious figure, the goat for Azazel, <laughs> Um, this is really interesting. Uh, I think it's really cool. I'm sort of, I sort of, I like to nerd out and go into all the crevices of what people were thinking. But, um, so remember one goat is presented for Yahweh, uh, and then the other goat is presented for Azazel. And the thing about this, I'm bringing this up because when we read our Bible, sometimes we have assumptions around them. Um, so this goat is atoned for also in verse 10. But the word atone doesn't always mean what we think it means. It means purged or purified or made, made for a ritual. So this goat is atoned for, the goat for Azazel. It's presented and the high priest lays his hands on it and confesses over it all the sins. Let's read in verse, verse 21. It's not on the screen. I have it right here. Um, and Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And I want us to pause and think, think of how, how many times the word all is repeated. All of their iniquities, all of their transgressions, all of their sins. And imagine this scene. You know, imagine the, the priest doing this in front of the entire congregation. Imagine how long it might take. You know, and you hear, you see these two guys, you know, struggling to hold the goat down. And they're, you know, the, the priest is sort of like mumbling sins you know, and maybe, I don't know how it worked, but maybe, you know, maybe there was a line and they would tell the high priest that, you know, the people of the congregation would tell the high priest their sins, you know. I don't know how it worked out, but I'm sure it was a solemn occasion, you know. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful image. Um, I want to talk about really quickly the, the wilderness. So this goat is sent to Azazel away into the wilderness and the wilderness is, was thought of, and probably still is, it's this place of death and decay where the wild beasts roam. Um, and think about the context of when God was giving this information to Moses. They, uh, the people of Israel have just left Egypt, and now they've been, they're going to be wandering in the wilderness for many years. Um, and in the very next chapter, Leviticus 16, God, he says, stop 
sacrificing to these goat demons in the wilderness. Perhaps they, you know, they had this idea that, that these goat demons would provide them safe passage through the wilderness. Because a lot of times in ancient Near East, you would sacrifice to a deity who had domain over certain passages or certain areas. Um, and in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, you have... Um, you have these passages where Azazel was thought to be this supernatural leader of this angelic rebellion. Um, But the key point is that the wilderness was the realm of death, decay, and anti-life. And God basically through this is saying, the only thing that I'm going to send to Azazel is that which is filled with sin and with death and uncleanness. That stuff will not remain here in the camp where my holiness and my presence is. And finally, the, the ritual would end with, uh, you know, the, the, the high priest removing that linen off of himself. There was a few more burnt offerings and sacrifices and that sort of thing. And then the man of readiness would return to the camp who went out and... Um, sent the goat. So next slide, please. Thanks, Kathy. I'd like, like for us to read this together, if, if we can. Leviticus 16.30. It says, From this day, for on this day, excuse me, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Amen. And it, 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 some more instructions about this would be that um, this was a Sabbath rest. People didn't work. The sojourner, the stranger, those who were, who were a part of Israel and those who by faith were also a part of the community. Um, maybe not ethnically, but they were, they were aligning themselves to Yahweh. They would also not work. Um, and so I, I just want to have us think about the power of this imagery how it's from the inside out that God was doing this amazing thing. And we can put up the, the picture of the Holy of Holies. So in the, on the very right there is where the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat, the throne. That, that's where it started. That's what, where the atonement would begin. And then slowly it would, you know, it says that the altar would be atoned for. And then the tent of meeting and then uh, if you could show the next slide, it would go out into the, the encampment. You know, so there's something wonderful happening on this day. Um, yeah. So I want to take a little pause and have us do a group activity with one another. And just maybe spend three minutes um, answering the question, uh, what are some parallels, some foreshadows, some implications between Leviticus 16 and Christ's death on the cross. All right, and before you do that, I want to read this verse, Hebrews 9, 24. It says, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So why don't, you, why don't you take a moment, turn to a neighbor, two to three minutes, what are some parallels, some foreshadows between Leviticus 
and Christ's death on the cross. And I, I will regather us and um, you guys can finish the rest of the sermon. So, <laughs> so let's, let's see that now. All right, all right, I'm gonna wrap us up. Okay, what, what conclusions? What, what, did, uh, what did everybody come up with? You can just yell it out. Jesus is the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. <laughs> That's what I wanted to title the sermon, but Martin didn't let me. <laughs> uh, yeah, any other... Um, Insights. <laughs> Just yell it out. Feel free. It's all good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, she, she said that the punishment that was, um, punishment that brought us peace was put upon him. Yeah, we'll get to that verse in a little bit. Anybody else? The goat was sent outside the camp. I think it's Hebrew that says that Jesus suffered outside the camp as well. Yeah. Like on Calvary rather than in the temple. Yeah, yeah. The goat, uh, Paul was saying the goat was sent outside the camp, and there's a verse in Hebrews that talks about Jesus suffering outside the camp. Yeah. Yeah, the, go- the goat was morally blameless for the sins that were piled upon it and even atoned for before, yeah. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, um, Brett was saying that the the way that the goat was, the hands were laid upon it was maybe similar to the way that the, the, the guards and the soldiers were, you know, handling Jesus. Yeah. Maybe two, two more. How about two more? Yeah, annual sacrifices versus one sacrifice forever. Last one. Anybody? Sorry? Yeah. Yeah, the veil. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get to that part too much. But the veil, no, no, no I, mean, I just mean that I didn't talk about that that much. But yeah, the veil is, were you, did you bring up the, that it was torn in? Yeah, yeah, so access to the holy place was made, made open at when Jesus was, uh, was, was sacrificed. Yeah, all these things, there, there's so much richness here. And I, I could not boil it down to... Um, I kept having like an overwhelming amount of things to talk about. So I'm glad that you, get, you were able to talk about it. And um, I, I do want to point three realities um, and parallels. And that is the first one. I think it, it, oh, there was some animation to it, but maybe not for the first row. If you can get it that way, that'd be better, but that's cool. Um, so the first one, let's just start at the very first row. And this is a very clear reality that Jesus is our high priest. And let's, can people read that? Hebrews 4, the top, um, it says, We have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. So we have, as Christians, we have a permanent representative. Uh, and you, maybe today you feel like nobody understands your suffering or your pain. But the, the amazing thing is Jesus shared in our humanity. He shared the, this, this, this flesh and blood. Um, he experienced the frailty of the human uh, life and, and death also. Um, he did not, rem- you know, God did not stay in this... Um, far off place that is unattainable. You know, we talked about the glory of the sun, how is it? But he, he veiled himself in human form. We have a permanent mediator. Uh, because of the resurrection, Jesus is alive and he's always living to intercede for us. Uh, we don't have to worry about needing any other mediator. You know, in this old system, There'd be one person year after year to come through. But now we have, for once, for all time, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, mediating for us. Um, Jesus passed through death and his priestly role has been made secure. Um, the second parallel is, is Jesus being the goat for Yahweh, um, atoning for the mercy seat. So I wrote down that, you know, we have a permanent sacrifice. Not only is he the great high priest, he's also a permanent sacrifice. The blood of Jesus 
was perfect to clear the way for us to access the very throne of God. Jesus' blood is, was better and is better than the blood of bulls and goats and rams to the point that it was once for all time, only one time, one sacrifice. There is no more sacrifices needed, no more rites, no more rituals, because Jesus said it is finished. We have permanent access. I think that's really important for us. The scripture tells us that when we are born again, we become the temple of God, that we actually become God's tabernacle. He chooses to put his Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we don't have to go far to different places to any pilgrimages of holy lands or these sort of things because he resides in us. Um, Scripture calls every believer the royal priesthood. Think of how many obstacles it took for Israel to access God. You had to be, first of all, you had to be a male. You had to be a, a priest. And then only once a year you could go in. And now in the New Testament, we are the royal priesthood. We become the people who can offer intercession for one another and to those who are searching for God. Jesus is our goat for Azazel. Um, we have, oh yeah, Isaiah 53 Susan, I think Susan brought it up. Um, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we have this permanent reminder. The cross is now this permanent reminder. Uh, and today, maybe if you're a Christian, I know it's been a hard year. It's been a hard few months. There's been so much stuff that's happened. And maybe like me, you at times have forgotten the joy of your salvation and I just want to remind me, myself, and us that, that the cross is this permanent reminder of the forgiveness that we have. You know, it, it's also not just a reminder to us. It's a witness to these unseen evil powers that we are no longer identified by sin or impurity. Uh, the accuser, you know, the accuser has no more ground to accuse us in the name of Jesus. His litigation has been settled. Amen. We have a permanent substitution. Now, I don't know about you, but I am prone to beat myself up for the things that I mess up in and about. And we don't have to do that. We don't have to beat ourselves up for what we did and what we've left undone. Because today is a new day. It's a new day to live in the righteousness of being called clean and being called forgiven. We don't have to be identified by our uncleanness, including the frailty of our bodies. And how many of us are experiencing frailty, the frailty of our human bodies? You know, whether it's mental things or physical things, our bodies are weak and frail. But we have a substitution and the resurrection of Jesus points to some, something that we will have in the future also. Um, I, I also, I, I confess also my relying on my moral superiority. Like, um, it's funny because, you know, different weeks come and come and go and sometimes I feel great. And that's usually because I am not sinning. You know, I'm like doing really well. There's this moral superiority that I feel, but you know what? It, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Because there are unintentional sins, there are uncleannesses, all of which God has paid for. 
And it's not about how I feel. And I'm sorry, I feel like I'm going very long. <laughs> um, so, I'm going to end us with a prayer. <laughs> and we, I wanted to have an extended prayer time. And I think we could still do a little bit of it. But I, I want to pray for us. I wrote it down because it was helpful for me to, to write it down. And I'm just going to read it for you. Father, we want to be a collection of individuals that live as forgiven and clean as you have made us by the precious blood of Jesus the Messiah. We want to be a people where sin and uncleanness is removed from our community, taken into the wilderness, no longer to return. We thank you that you have done that for us, Jesus, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you've removed our transgressions from us. We want to protect one another, to see one another as your precious and treasured possession. Forgive us, Lord, for when we have failed. Help us to protect the witness of this community so that those outside the church who hunger and thirst for rest may find it. We cannot do this on our own strength, and so we need the power of your Holy Spirit. We want to run to your throne of grace into heaven to meet with you, and we invite your presence to meet with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.